my friends, and welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. I am super excited to be here today with one of my uh, favorite students from back in my early days as a, a professor. Uh, and I, I'm here with Dawan Witten. Um, Dawan is currently the lead academic advisor for University Advising and the Mustang Success Center at Cal Poly. How's, do, how's it going, Dawan? It's going really well. Thank you, Dr. Greenway, for bringing me here. Um, you and I have had several conversations in the past about ways in which I can give back to EIM. And so thank you for bringing me to your podcast. Happy to be here. Yes, absolutely. I'm super excited, like I said, to have you, Dawana. Uh, we'll... We'll get into uh, we'll get into your college years here here in a second, but I, I want the listeners to know. You know, I said I, I said uh, Dawan was one of those special students that I remember a great deal from my from my early days, and and I'm not kidding. I mean, uh, Dawan was in one of like the first classes that I taught at Cal Poly, and uh, as a captain of the basketball team and a, and a, a leader among uh, a leader among his peers, he was not scared to speak out. And challenge the uh, the young, fresh, new professor, and so it was great. He was always someone I could count on to speak up, and you know, I, I think sometimes uh, uh, students worry a little bit about um, uh, worry a little bit about that. Um, but we as professors, we actually love that confidence and, uh, it can be a little tough, you know, when you're, when you're a young professor and you're new to the area or whatever. Uh, but I actually loved it, uh, Darwin, and we've developed a great professional relationship over the years and, uh, I, I'm super excited to, to have you. And so, you know, I, I'll, I'll address, uh, right off the bat, you know, so, so Darwin currently serves as, like I said, as an academic advisor at Cal Poly and, and some might might wonder, like, well, does that fit under the experience industry? And um, I, I say, uh, number one, yes, absolutely, because when we talk about the experience industry, ultimately, we are a management degree, right? And so that management degree involves transferability of skills. And so we're going to talk about your path and how you got to where you are now uh, and and what you're doing now, but I, I want to talk a little bit about about how you got there. So, where are you from uh, originally? So, um, I was born in St. Francis Hospital in Linwood, California, mm -hmm. right there next to Compton, and I actually spent some of my formative years living in Compton. Um, but around the age of seven, you know, my mom wanted us to get away from Compton, as you know, the neighborhoods that I, I grew up in were you know, heavily uh, influenced by gang activity and things of that nature and poverty. So uh, she moved with her sister, my aunt, in Cerritos, California. And so I spent a really good chunk of my childhood there, um, you know, from, from third grade up until, I want to say, my sophomore year of high school. Okay. What is, what is, really, where I, is Cerritos? Tell me where Cerritos is. Yeah, so Cerritos is right there on the borderline of L.A. County and Orange County. Oh, okay. Uh, so like the Long Beach area, if you, if you know um, mm -hmm. where Long Beach Town Center is, Cerritos is very close. Mm -hmm. um, you may see the commercial Cerritos Auto Square sometimes. <laughs> so, so that's where I, where I lived up until high school. Um, and that's probably where, you know, I fell in love with Parks and Rec. Um, because actually my first job, you know, as a, a 10-year-old kid was sweeping the gymnasium at Cerritos Regional Park. And uh, the, the recreation manager... Martinez, you know, he gave me that first opportunity to, to kind of sweep the gym. 
And that's also where I fell in love with the game of basketball even more as a player, not just as a fan. Uh, And so I I lived in Cerritos up until ninth grade, and then I moved to the San Fernando Valley, and I was there for a few years. I also lived in Santa Barbara, where I graduated from high school at Dos Pueblos. Nice. Also, then I came to Cal Poly on my basketball scholarship, and then I went back to L.A. after I graduated, and then now I'm back here at Cal Poly, you know, in my career. Right on. I love it. You know, um, so many Cal Poly graduates uh, make it their life's goal to uh, return to San Luis Obispo because they love their time in, in slow so much. And so I love that you were able to return. So let's talk a little bit about um, a, a, a little bit more about growing up. Like, when, so you, you um you were a basketball player and you, you, you came to Cal Poly on a basketball scholarship, but um, were you one of those kids that dreamed of the NBA or were you one of those kids that, that, that had a different uh, mentality in, in terms of dreaming of a dream job? What was, what was your dream job? Well, actually, you know, my first sport was baseball. Oh, was it really? You know, I'm a baseball yeah, guy. Yeah. So I love that. Uh, I, you know, and I you know, Michael first... Jordan was a baseball guy too. See, a lot of people didn't know that until they watched the last dance. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but you know, I used to really watch the NBA a lot and, um, I just, I just love the competitive spirit of basketball players. I just, I just love the game. And, and of course, the more that I started to grow and develop and my skills start to catch up, you know, I, I fantasize about being a professional basketball player. You know, um, that, that was the only thing I thought about doing. And I met different people along my pathway um, that encouraged me to think about life outside of basketball. Um, but I was really hard-headed, and I was like, I'm going to do this. You know, like, I love basketball, and there's nothing else I would rather do than this. Right, right. Well, you know, it's, it's great to keep your dreams alive. And I, I think um, I, I think it's a – I think it's a really interesting balance, and I, I think it's great that you ran into people along the way who encourage you to think about other things. Because I, I think too often, um, I, I think too often with athletes that are that are super talented, we have a tendency to not help them to think about those other things. We have a tendency to to get them into that real narrow focus. And and I think that can be damaging. Um, I'm even even if they are elite and, and end up playing for 20 or 10 or however many years professionally, you're still going to end up doing something, right? And so right. uh and so I think it's a, and, and you know when, when we look at a lot of the greatest athletes um Kobe is is a, is a great example. I mean they 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 become incredible businessmen, you know, and, and Magic Johnson, obviously a great example. They become incredible businessmen or businesswomen um, uh, through that process because they, they know that they, they will, they, they're going to have to do something else after sports. So, so I love that. So um, talk, let's talk about that transition to Cal Poly. So um, you were recruited as a student athlete. Um, I don't even remember who the coach was back then. Don, who was, who was Evan Bromley was the head coach. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me say real quick though, um, Dr. Greenwood, like I wasn't, you know, the most gifted athlete, you know, I was mm-hmm. six foot seven. I didn't have really big hands. I I didn't jump out the gym. So, you know, all of my skills that I developed was through hard work and determination. Right. I rose through the ranks of basketball, started out playing for the city of Studios, right? Mm -hmm. And then I started playing some some travel ball in junior high school, right? And then I made the varsity basketball team as a freshman because I worked really hard, you know? Um, And then I even played AAU in high school as well. 
And I remember my head coach telling me that I wasn't going to receive a scholarship my first year. He goes, yeah, you, you don't have enough talent. You don't have enough athleticism, you know? And instead of using, letting that break me down and break my spirit with the game, I was just like, I'm going to prove him wrong. Right. Right. I love it. So by, the, by the time I graduated high school, I had seven scholarship offers. Okay. That's awesome. In basketball um, at the division one level. Right. So, you know, I was able, I was able to just, you know, work really hard and, and observe really good things that were better than me and compete against them and, mm-hmm. you know, train and, and just diligently work on my game. And I was able to do it. I love it. You have what they call a motor, right? <laughs> you you would work harder than the, than the next guy. I love that. I I, I love it. And I I remember I remember you as as being um as being a leader as well. And so I would imagine that that through through basketball you learned a lot about about leadership. So let, let's talk about when you when you got here at Cal Poly. What that experience is what what that experience was like. Um, what led you to um. Well, obviously, you said you had a background in in, um, in parks and recreation, but did you know right away that you wanted to be sport management as your as your um, concentration? How did you How did you end up in our major? In other words, yeah. So you know, I was recruited by Kevin Bromley and his staff to come and play basketball at Cal Poly. Um, I only went on one official visit, and so I came to Cal Poly, and um, I just I just fell in love with with the campus. You know, everybody was extremely nice to me on my visit. Um, and I think, you know, once you, when I look back on it now, um, if I had gone to other visits, I probably would have had, you know, just as good as the experience if I went to other places. Um, but you know, I was 17 years old and I really didn't know much about NCAA, um, the structure of NCAA basketball and, and things of that nature. So, and plus it was more than just basketball. I mean, coach kind of understood what my family background situation was like. And so he, he, made a promise to me that it wasn't just going to be about basketball, but, you know, it was going to make sure that, you know, I was going to have a life and I was going to have opportunities to try to um, create a better life for myself more than just playing basketball. So, so that's definitely what um, appealed to me coming to Cal Poly. So when I initially declared my major um, at the time, I was thinking this, I was like, okay, if, if I don't make it playing professional basketball, then at least I want to be able to work with athletes in some way, shape, or form. And injuries is an inherent part of sports, right? Thinking maybe I wanted to be a physical therapist. Not really knowing about what went into being a physical therapist. <laughs> right, right. But that's just what I chose, right? Right. So um, I want to say like somewhere towards the end of my first year and, and in between my second year, when I was really starting to make degree progress um, towards my major as a, kines- as a kinesiology major. Oh, I didn't realize you came in, you went in, came in as a kinesiology major. <laughs> yeah. uh, we actually had, I had a schedule conflict um, with, with a, like a bio class that I needed and, 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 a, and a lab that went along with it. And so at that time, I was just like, you know what, like science and math is not really my strong suit. And now that I've looked at my curriculum sheet in depth, like there's a lot of math and science related, you know, with this, with this major, and, you know, having being a student athlete is like, and, and it's like having two full-time jobs. Yeah. You have your academic responsibilities and you have your athletic responsibilities and your athletic responsibility is just as time demanding, if not even more than your academics. Right. And so I knew I was going to really need you know, thorough tutoring for all of my science and math classes. And I just, at the time, I'm not sure that those resources were as readily available as they are now. Mm-hmm. 
really intimidated, like I wasn't going to do well. And I for sure did not want to end up on academic probation or, or risk um, losing my scholarship because I have heard about other athletes failing out of Cal Poly because they weren't able to handle, handle it academically. And so I was like, you know, let, let me do something with sports. You know, I love sports. Um, and I, at the time, um, sports management wasn't really an option, but I heard that RPTA had um, individual course study that would allow you to determine your own concentration. Mm-hmm. And so, because I was a girl that was an RPTA major at the time, let me just be real. That was part of the reason why. <laughs> uh, right, of course, uh, of course. It was an option. And so it ended up actually working out really, really well for me. Um, and I'm actually got, glad I made that decision. Right on. And, um, and uh, yeah, you know, I remember uh, Dalwin very well when I, when I came in. Uh, Dr. Hendricks uh, uh, presented the uh, sport management concentration sheet to me and, and all of the classes. And I was like, this isn't sport management. And he was like, I know, that's why we hired you. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> He's like, we want you to develop it. And I was like, all right, okay. And so, you know, I don't even, I, I, you didn't even get to take uh, that very first class that I developed. Uh, that was several years later that, uh, so you were, you took 260 with me and uh, the old <laughs> recreation sport programming and uh, yeah, the, the all of that. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't sport management as we know it now. Um, we have intro to sport management. We have sport marketing. We have um, sports-based youth development and community relations. Um, so we have a number. We have a, a real sport management experience now. But um, so let's talk a little bit more about your time here at Cal Poly. Like I said, you developed into a leader um, in our major and on the basketball court. Um, you know, I called you the captain. I was pretty sure I remembered you were a captain. Weren't you a captain of the team? Yes, I was one of two captains of the team. Okay, yeah, I thought so. I, I didn't think I was remembering wrong there. But um, so when you think back to your to your Cal Poly experience, um, is there a big memorable uh, something that really you know sticks out in your mind? I mean, I think what what sticks out the most, if I'm being completely honest, is, is the games. You know, like I still have dreams of, of, you know, the fans chanting my name after I've scored a big basket or made a play or a good pass or whatever. Um, you know, especially the games where I perform well, right? Those are the ones that you re- remember the most. But if I'm just thinking about my Cal Poly experience, I would say it, it's really about the relationships that I developed um, with, with important people like you, uh, with Shannon Stevens, who was my academic advisor at the time was now my boss in the Mustang Success Center. Um, and, and, you know, if you want to blame somebody for my confidence in the classroom, it's, it's uh, Kendi Root. You know, she always would say, you know, seek first to understand and then be understood. And so a lot of times when I was asking questions in the classroom, it's because I really didn't understand and I wanted to understand. And um, I wasn't afraid to ask those questions because people like her empowered me to do so. And also Dr. O'Brien, who was, you know, just even to this day, just the sweetest lady we ever wanted to meet. Um, that made me proud that I chose to come to Cal Poly. So um, think about those people. Yeah, for sure. And I, I I just think I I was really serious about that. I I just think it's so, 
it's such a great quality. I mean, to speak up and, and, you know, I remember Darwin when I was sitting in the classroom, I was not, I would never speak up. And it was because, you know, even though I had developed that confidence, um, through, through athletics and in, in, in high school and, and, you know, it was like a high achieving high school student. When I got to UNC Chapel Hill with, you know, 25,000, 30,000 kids and classrooms with a thousand people or, 200 people or, or, or even 50 people, you know, there was no way I was going to speak up. I was just like, I, I'm, I'm going to sit in the back and, and, and just, uh, uh, halfway listen. And, um, and there were so many times where I had no earthly idea what they were talking about. You know, I remember when I, when I started, um, uh, developing the class on, um, sociocultural dimensions of work and leisure. One of the things that I, I, I thought was so ironic about that was that I'd heard that word sociocultural so many times at UNC Chapel Hill and had mm-hmm. no earthly idea what it meant. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, even though, you know, you would think that like, well, you break it down. I mean, it's sociocultural. Like, well, that's not that hard. But well, yeah, for me as a, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old, yeah, yeah. I, had, I had no clue what it was. And back then, we couldn't Google it. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. yeah, but, uh, but, yeah, so um, so so when we uh, l- let's talk, uh, let's let's talk a little bit more uh, about um, your experience at Cal Poly, you know, in, in your current role, obviously, with the Mustang Success Center, you, you try to empower students um, and student athletes, if you work with them, you, you try to empower them to to take charge of, of their academic career and, and get engaged um, professionally. Did you, did you feel like you did a, a good job at that while you, while you were here at Cal Poly? Um, I think I could have done a better job. Um, I think I did as well as I could at the time um, based off of my knowledge and understanding about life, right? Um, I had no idea how difficult it was to, to be a professional athlete. I had no idea that I had a better chance of being struck by lightning while riding a unicorn wearing an outfit than making it to the NBA. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Less than 1% make it professionally, you know, from the college ranks. So I didn't realize I was up against those kinds of odds, right. but you know, I, I had odds against me of, of getting a scholarship and I was able to do that, you know, because only 400 scholarships are giving every year. And I was one of them in 2004. So, you know, that, that led me to believe that I still had some opportunity, some chance to make it. But, you know, the kind of support that you need in order to have, you know, no distractions while you're trying to train, not worrying about where your next meal is going to come from or, or, or how you're going to pay for shelter or if your car is going to be able to, you know, get you to the gym. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. those things. And so, um, I didn't necessarily have the support that I needed in order to make that transition. Right. That's probably something I wish I would have done better was establishing relationships with people. Um, and, and, and even my competitors, you know, I was so in the mindset that I got to prove that I'm better than you rather than, you know, Hey man, what do you do in the off season? You know, who are you training with? Who, who are you getting in front of? Who's seeing, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. so that way you give yourself a better chance to make it to the next level. I did not do those things. And I also wish, too, that as a student athlete at a Division I university, I think there should be some education about how to properly um, eat, you know, about nutrition, how to take care of yourself, you know, um, managing injuries, how to make sure you're not overtraining um, and managing burnout, um, some, some conversations, some education around mental health, 
with student athletes. Like I didn't have all of those things, but I dealt with all of those things after I left Cal Poly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think, you know, that, um, I'm a part of a, a, a group, um, doing some research right now on, um, on student athletes and, and how to, how to help with that career identity and that career, uh, transition. And, um, uh, I, I know that, that Mustang success and I know that, that Cal Poly athletics and, and the advising, I know everyone's committed to trying to, to, to support, um, student athletes and students um, as best we can. And, and I, I, one thing I, I do see as a something positive for the future is I think we're beginning to understand a lot more that, that all of that is needed, right? And, and, and not just student athletes, um, but, but all, all students um, need, need more of that, right? And so, um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's critical. So, so let's talk about your internship. Um, what, what, was your, what was your internship? So I had an internship with the men's um, basketball team at Cal Poly. So I interned with my own coaching staff. I got you. Uh, and so I, I actually got a chance to see, you know, what their lives are like in the off season, you know, when they run yeah. for their recruiting visits, um, when they had prospective athletes sending in their game film in, I had a responsibility to analyze that and kind of got, evaluate talent, um, maybe scheduling their hotel stays and, and getting their car rentals up when they have to go and drive in different places to watch athletes at these tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a chance to see how they planned um, spring training with their current student athletes mm-hmm. on my way out, you know, as, as a senior. Mm-hmm. And so that was really pivotal to kind of for me to see what, what college um, coaches deal with um, in the offseason as they prepare for uh, recruiting season and then also getting their current athletes ready for the next year. Right on, right on. And now, as as you as, as you moved out of Cal Poly and went beyond out into the professional world, you know, I know you had some frustrations with with trying to find um, positions in sport management, and um, and you know, I know you were one of the one of the first sport management students that we had that that ended up going to graduate school. You know, I mean, I um, uh, when I'm teaching sport management now. Um, you know, I make sure that all of our students know that if you if you really want to get ahead in sport management, in most in most um, intercollegiate and professional environments, you're going to need a master's. Um, yeah. Not all, not all, but most. Unless of them. you go into sales, you don't necessarily need a master's. If you go right? Sales. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but if you exactly. want to be like an exe- like an account executive, then you yeah. might master's degree yeah exactly so let's talk a little bit about those you know i know um i know it can be uh i know it can be a little bit uh painful to think about uh times when we were struggling but um let's talk about that um that that time period and what it was like because i think it is important for for all of our students and and i know a lot of our students right now are are concerned about you know the pandemic and and jobs and whether jobs are going to be out there and and whatnot um, so can you talk about your experience after college and, and um, the positions that you had and, um, and, and then going on to, to Long Beach for a master's degree and, and what, that, what that was like? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, it's important to have some context around the time that I graduated. It was at the height of the housing, uh, the housing bubble in 2008. Yeah. And, and, you know, coming out of Cal Poly with a recreation, parks and tourism administration degree um, at that time was very difficult for us to find full-time work, okay? 
And, and I will say as, as a general piece of advice to, you know, alumni and current students that may be listening to your listeners, your degree does not determine what you can do for a career. That's number one. And so my first job was, was um, in, in the social services field, full-time work. I was a professional house parent, you know, where I lived with the, with the boys that I worked with that were in the foster um, care system. Okay. Because I needed full-time work. I needed health benefits. You know, I needed those things. And um, I want to say like during the course of my first year in that role, I was still trying to find ways to get back into parks and recreation. Right. And so I took on a part-time role um, with the city of Tustin where I was a support services um, worker. And I was also a part-time rec leader. But, you know, that job only paid $9 an hour. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and and that would have been a detriment for me if that was my only source of income. Yeah. So, you know, having full-time work and, and able to get some experience with Parks and Rec was great. And I loved that job. You know, I worked at the Tustin Area Senior Center. I worked at um, the, the Tustin Family and Youth Center. Um, and I had a lot of different experience with, with um, event programming, um, the setups and breakdowns, interacting with the patrons. It was a lot of fun, but I just wish that, you know, I had an opportunity for full-time work at that time, but that wasn't in the cards. And so I had to find work in other different industries, right. mainly, you know, in the, in the service industry, the social services industry. And so let's see, after I spent about a year and a half or so as a professional house parent, um, I, I transitioned to the point where I was only working for the city of Tustin. Um, but then, you know, after a while, you know, commuting from Cerritos to Tustin, you know, making $9 and 88 cents an hour, 20 hours a week, I just, it just was not financially efficient, you know, so I had to find another job. So I started working with with juvenile delinquent teenagers at a place called Boys Republic from about 2010 to 2013 or so. Um, again, in the social services field, full-time work, health benefits, um, but more than just being able to have a job that that can you know help you take care of yourself you know i wanted to do something that helped other people because you know throughout different points in my life there was different people that kind of helped me in very trying situations that i was in and i wasn't able to actually pay those people back um so i pay it forward and if you look at any of the experiences that i've had um there has been a a servant type of component to it and i heard you talking to dr henderson about servant leadership yeah, you know my my career has definitely embodied that, you know for sure. So don't feel like you know your your degree pigeonholes you to certain jobs. You know there is transferable experiences that you can take to other industries. Um, you know as long as you can demonstrate how you can um, add value to whatever company or organization you are trying to, you know get a job with. That's exactly right. I couldn't. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. And um, so let's let's talk about that transition now. So you so you got a, you ended up getting a master's degree at Long Beach, yeah. and then um, uh, how did you? Uh, what ended up um, leading you to university advising? Yeah. So let's see. I spent some years, you know, substitute teaching, um, and I was like, you know, what do I want to do here? And I had learned through some of the teachers that I had worked with that, you know, if I had a master's degree, I can get paid a little bit more. And so I was like, well, what do I want to earn a master's in? You know, like I'm really not interested in research per se, you know? Um, So I was like, well, let me look to see if there's a sports management master's program. And then that's where I came across Long Beach State. 
And so, you know, I applied to their program, I got into their program, and it was a really, it was a really great experience. Um, you know, the structure of their program, the people that were a part of the, the program, um, you know, you have to work 500 hours of internship time while going to classes at night. So, you know, I was substitute teaching. I had three different internships. I worked at the Rose Bowl. I did the Long Beach Grand Prix. Uh, I worked at Long Beach State Athletics. You know, I did a lot of different things that kind of allowed me to get some more exposure to the inner workings of, you know, college athletics a little bit more. And then also at a place like the Rose Bowl, you know, which is very historic. Of course, yeah. What they've been doing. Um, and so, you know, it was just a really good opportunity and, and a great time. And so after I finished my master's program at Long Beach State, you know, I applied to athletic director positions because I thought that's what I really wanted to do. But ultimately, the more I learned um, about that role and what, what it encompasses, you know, uh, there's a lot of fundraising involved with that, you know, asking people for money, a lot of stewardship. And um, I don't necessarily enjoy those things, you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, there's got to be something else that I could do. Um, You know, so I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just go and get my teaching credential at this point. And so I was a special education teacher for a year at Pasadena High School. Oh, no way. I I don't, I didn't, I did not know that. Yeah. I taught special ed math and science, um, chemistry, actually. And it was, you know, and I had a lot of teaching experience up up until that point. You know, I substitute you know, K through 12 uh, for a number, for a couple of years until I, uh, up until the point where I got that full-time teaching job. And the credential I was in, it was, uh, it was called the Los Angeles County Office of Education, LACO. They were offering a, a credentialing program that allowed you to earn a full-time salary as a teacher while you were earning your credential. So that's how I was able to get that job at Pasadena High School. And so it dawned on me one day, I was like, you know what, I really like the work that I'm doing. I know I'm making a difference, but I think I would, would rather work with a more mature student, right? Maybe the community college or maybe the university level. And so I had, you know, kept in communication with Shannon throughout the years. He's kind of, you know, he was like a mentor for me in various ways. Mm-hmm. And so I found out that there was an advising position. I had enough relevant experience. And so I applied and uh, the rest is history. Right on. Right on. Well, that is, uh, that's just awesome. And so you've been, um, you've been back at Cal Poly um, for, is it now three years or four? This is my fourth year now as an advisor. Four. That's what I thought. And so you're now, uh, you're now a lead academic advisor. I love that. And so let's talk about your day to day. I think, um, uh, I, I think it's important for, for people to understand um, what you're doing in, in the Mustang Success Center. So um, I, I know no, no day is, is necessarily uh, exactly the same, but um, what, are your, what are your day-to-day responsibilities? Are you working um, directly with student-athletes or are you working with the general popula- population of students? So actually last summer I got promoted uh, from the SSB2 to SSB3. And uh, there was a position created in the Mustang Success Center called Lead Academic Advisor for the Cal Poly Scholars Program. So I, I accepted that position. Um, I work with first and second year Cal Poly Scholars. Okay, so these are um, who identify as you know first gen, low income, but are also high achieving and have demonstrated financial need. Okay, so they're not necessarily student athletes. However, there have been a few student athletes that were scholars as well. Okay. You know, I get an opportunity to interact with, with student athletes in a different way um, through the ACE program in athletics. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> but I primarily work with the general student population. So okay. my 
priority is the scholars program and then also helping with uh, the drop-ins that come through the Mustang Success Center. Love it. And, you know, I got to say to you, too, I, I don't know who was responsible for um, – the 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 branding there but i just i just love the 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 way it's branded right i mean the cal poly scholars that's just that that i love that i just love it and so uh president uh, armstrong that's his program he created you know it was a way to try to help you know cal poly to be more reflective of the state of california in terms of his diversity right so um yeah and and me having an opportunity to serve those students is, is a tremendous opportunity yeah absolutely and you know we're um we're at this crossroads. Um, you and I, you and I talked uh, beforehand. Um, we're at this crossroads here that that um, that the um, the, the racial and social in, uh, injustice that we've seen over the, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's boiled up over the last few months. Um, but really, it's something that we've um, been poorly dealing with as a country for years and years and years and years. And so make no mistake. Um, we, uh, we have finally, um, as a country, um, begun to wake up to it. You know, I mean, I, I, I think, um, after this, I, I think we, for, for too long felt like that we made so many strides during the civil rights era that we had reached this, that we had reached, you know, some sort of, of balance or equality or whatever you want to call it. And, um, and we had not, we just had not. Um, and so, um, you know, uh, black and brown people in this country, um, know that and know that very, very well. And, um, and, um, unfortunately, um, a lot of the rest of us, um, particularly those of us in the white majority, um, turned a blind eye or pretended like we cared and didn't really do anything. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the fact that Cal Poly has, um, has made a commitment, um, through things like the Cal Poly scholars, I think is a good, is a good step. And I love that you're, I love that you're associated with that doll. And I love that you're, that, that you're helping along those lines. I, um, I guess I just want to ask you, like, what more, what more can we do? You know, I told you earlier that the, the, the whole thing, um, you know, silence is complicit. Um, I've told, I've told this story to, to some people. I don't know if I've ever told it to you, but when I was in graduate school, I was, um, I was in graduate school for sport management and we were going to, uh, Georgia state university, for a sport management conference. And we were driving from Raleigh, North Carolina to Georgia. Right. And there was a, there was a, a 10 passenger van with like eight of us and, and a, and a faculty member in that van. And, um, and we stopped in South Carolina. This was like, baby, this was uh, like 1999. Right. And, um, everybody piled out at this gas station and I looked back and my buddy Rob was not getting out. And I was like, what's wrong, Rob? do you want me to grab something for you? He was like, man, I'm not getting out here. And I was like, what do you mean you're not getting out here? He was like, they still fly fly the Confederate flag in this state. I'm not getting out here in South Carolina. Uh, I'm, I'm scared. (laughs) This was the middle of the day. 
mm-hmm. at a at an interstate at an interstate yep. gas station, and that that moment, Darwin, for me was the most powerful moment that 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 you know in waking me up that that I lived a, a privileged existence that um, that others did not get did, did not have that that same privilege and um, wow. What an eye opener! You know, it's, you know? it's, it's a matter of perspective, you know, because even yeah. I have privileges. I'm able body. You understand what I'm saying? So it's just a matter of what your perspective is. Um, but I, I do agree to some degree that silence is complicity, uh, but not in all situations. You know, you can't right. force people to do something that they're not comfortable with. You right. know, I mean, that's pretty much what it comes down to. You know, like right. for my own community, you know, I'm not willing to go out and protest. Why? Because I'm not trying to get arrested. Are right. you? Gonna bail me out of jail if that's the case no yeah, I hear you. you know what i mean i'm not trying to get hurt i'm not trying to get potentially killed you know um, there's but, privilege there. you're, you're right there's privilege there as well that's absolutely there's all kinds of privileges yeah. you know and, and i think what people misconstrue with the with the black lives matter movement is it's not to say that other lives don't matter but what we're trying to highlight is is a disproportionality of 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 the racial injustices and police brutality against people of color specifically black people okay yeah that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to highlight that. And obviously the, the court ruling in Breonna Taylor's case, you know, is, is kind of like a microcosm of why Black Lives Matter movement is so important, yeah. you know. Um, but here's the thing that I, I try to tell, you know, my people is that, you know, you don't want to alienate, you know, your allies, you know, because not every white person is racist. You know, not every white person um, is, you know, has a direct role in, in, in the plight of black people or people of color in this country. You know, however, you know, we can encourage them, you know, to use their power to try to help us in our situation, you know, and obviously, you know, voting is is a huge part of this, you know, obviously changing laws that don't uh, benefit us is is definitely another aspect. Um, But I think, you know, it has to be like an economical um, component to it as well. You know, all of the, the people that have power and influence in that regard, um, if they really care about, um, people of color that they put their money where their mouths is. Yeah. You know? like, Cause there's a lot of lip service that's going on, you know, mm-hmm. 100%. Me, like when I think about my experience at Cal Poly, you know, like I never really felt any microaggressions, you know, from faculty um, or anything like that. Um, I, I didn't, I, I didn't have any, nobody ever bothered me, you know, <laughs> right. Never had any type of racist incidences at Cal Poly when I was here. Now, when we went on the road, I think there was a game we played against Northern Iowa, and we were crossing the road from our hotel to get some food, and some, you know, a pickup truck drove by, and they yelled out the N-word towards us, you know, but but that was about it, you know, like, I didn't have any experiences at Cal Poly, you know, and so when I came back as a staff member, and I was hearing about these different experiences that, you know, Black students were having, like, I was just like, you know, I felt for them. You know, um, but this has been our, our plight for the last 400 years, yeah. you know, um, yeah. but we've always found a way to continue to, to move forward. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, um, I think, uh, and, and I, I think you would probably agree with this, but I, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but I, I think, um, raising our awareness and, and, and learning and, and growing and evolving. You know, that's one of the things I've challenged myself with, with, um, you know, I think I told you that, um, Dr. Rue has, um, has devoted herself to social justice for, for the last, um, you know, for, for, 
the last four years. And I mean, she was all, always um, very, uh, you know, she was always very um, supportive of social justice, but she really dived forward head first. And she challenges me every day to think, um, to, to think um, about how I can make a difference and, and to, to read more broadly. You know, I mean, I think about, I think about all the things, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty shameful that um, at 45, uh, it would, would have taken a seminar speaker coming to Cal Poly and speaking about um, the, uh, an incident in my home state of North Carolina in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, You know, there was, um, there was basically a massacre where white people came into the city of Wilmington, North Carolina, where, where Michael Jordan grew up and basically took over. It was a, it was a, it was a coup d'etat. They massacred 300 black people who were in charge of, who had risen to power and democratically risen to power and were, um, uh, you know, were, were leading that, that city's government and, and, and 300, um, black people were killed. And, and, and what did they call it in my textbooks growing up in North Carolina history, a race riot. Um, and they completely whitewashed it, you know? And so things like that, that have just been, that, that have gone on throughout history. You know, we talk about these like Confederate monuments and all that. And, um, and there was this Confederate monument at UNC Chapel Hill called Silent Sam. That was like a part of my, that was a part of my, um, experience at UNC Chapel Hill, right? There was this thing like you have to go and, um, stand, take pictures with silent Sam. I had no idea that that was resurrected during the Jim Crow era. And the gentleman who was responsible for getting that, um, statue erected on the day it was erected, used the N word to describe how this will stand forever to show to basically show black people where they where they uh where they should be yeah. and it was like and how that didn't surface for a hundred years you know that speech didn't surface for a hundred years and we went about just like you know acting like it was just a statue when actually, yeah, yeah, when actually it was a symbol and it's systemic yeah. and it's like, yeah. so, uh, I don't know. I, but, even I if could, you, but even if you got rid of all of all of those symbols and statutes, and even if you legislated all of these laws, you know, that kind of created a little a more equitable situation. You can't legislate the hearts and minds of people. That's right. There are going to be people that just don't like you just because, yeah. you know? but you can't let that be a reason from stopping you from achieving the things that you want to achieve. Good point. You know? have always been my approach really uh, good point and you know I, I get flack from my own community because i don't necessarily see things the way that they do mm-hmm. uh, but that's just kind of my opinion about it well i i i hear you and i, I think you've um i think you've done a, a a really good job over the years of uh of changing hearts and minds through your uh through your confidence and through your, your smile and through your, uh, your, your demeanor and, and being a people person. And, uh, just want to, just want to thank you so much for, for giving back and paying it forward, uh, today and, um, and every day through the, uh, through the uh, Cal Poly Scholars Program and the work that you're doing in, um, in Mustang success. Um, it's been really great talking to you. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time today on a, on a Friday during your lunch.
lunch break. And um, uh, yeah, just look forward to seeing you around campus for, for those, uh, those who are current students uh, who are listening. Um, don't hesitate to reach out uh, to Darwin. I'm sure he would, he would love to, to hear from, um, from fellow uh, EIM students. And, uh, and yeah, I just want to thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And if, and if those of you that are listening want to know how you can find me, you can go to our webpage, advising.calpoly.edu, and uh, find our contact information there. Also, we're on success.calpoly.edu, where you can look up all of the different advisors that work in the Mustang Success Center. Right on. Awesome. Thanks so much. Take Thank care, Dolan.